praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and, it, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Psalms. Psalms are a co collection of songs and poems and prayers written by a range of different authors in, in a range of different contexts. And actually, if you pick up uh, any Bible, and um, they're easy to find. You just um, open up in the, in the middle and you can see uh, the, the collection of, of poems there known as the uh, Book of Psalms. I suppose one of the things that's remarkable about the Psalms is that they're available to us in English, even though they were written in the original Hebrew, and that's the song that we've just heard. So I'd like to unpack a that a little bit more. Some of the Psalms that we have uh, out of that 150 were written by uh, King David, a very popular figure in, in the Hebrew scriptures and beyond. And actually 73 are uh, attributed to him. Uh, others were written by a much smaller amount, written by people like Solomon uh, and even Moses um, had a few and there are other uh, less known figures like um, um, Asaph or the sons of Korah, these groups of people that were responsible for the worship in the, in the temple. Uh, and a whole lot of Psalms are actually anonymous. We don't know uh, where they came from. So the book of Psalms, that's what we know it, uh, was probably compiled um, after the Israelites uh, had been taken into exile to Babylon. That's not to say they were written then. Uh, it's just that there was a collection that was building. And as during that time that there was an opportunity uh, to gather these songs and sayings from their ancestors and to carefully construct uh, the book that we now know and have in one volume that told a story. And uh, that was the story of, of God who wanted always to interact with his people. He wanted to be um, uh, their king and he wanted to have a, a covenant uh, with his people and uh, the story of the Psalms also describes a, a kingdom that would eventually play out and be available for uh, creation in the form of a king that would come um, after uh, David from the line of David so there are themes in in the Psalms of covenant uh, that idea of promise but also a kingdom a new way of living under this under this lordship, under this king. Um, there's themes of peace and redemption, of restoration and reconciliation uh, with a sovereign God. And so if you open up the book of Psalms, you'll see that they're divided into five, uh, not necessarily equal 
uh, books. Uh, so book one through to book five. And the reason the division is there is that you can pick up at the end of every section um, a small, short uh, doxology, which is another way of saying a, uh, a written prayer or an organized um, prayer, uh, a liturgical prayer. And these uh, poems and songs, uh, as, uh, they may appear to be random as if someone just came along and jotted some things down or, or sung a spontaneous song. Uh, actually, in music, uh, we call that ad-libbing. And that's just something that um, is actually spontaneous and you're making something up on the, on the spot. But actually the Psalms aren't necessarily spontaneous. They've been carefully crafted and uh, Hebrew poetry features very, very strongly. And they are really expressions of this faith and trust in the Lord. And sometimes they were sung, but other times they weren't necessarily uh, songs. And um, even though we heard that song in Hebrew, we don't necessarily understand what they're saying. And so they've been translated. And in that process, we lose a lot of the, a lot of the nuances, a lot of the beauty that, that uh, happens in Hebrew poetry. But there is one feature that we can study, and that's what we call parallelism. And there are different types of parallelism. These are, this is looking at the nitty gritties of, of each of the verses. And if you're looking at the stanzas, you see that there is um, different ways in which these verses are constructed. For example, one type of parallelism is where the first line um, is, 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 is a statement uh, and then the second line is a restatement, but it's using different words. It's saying the same thing. No new information is added at other times. And this happens more in Proverbs than in Psalms, but it's still there in the Psalms. Uh, the first line is verbalized, but the second line that follows in that sta stanza is actually the opposite idea. So rather than relying on, uh, on rhyme and meter like we do in English poetry, Hebrew poetry was more geared towards uh, uh, talking about meaning and uh, finding um, a way of conveying thoughts uh, in a sequence that was memorable uh, for the audience. And a third type of parallelism was this idea where the first line was verbalized and then the second line that followed built, uh, added more information to that first line. But uh, really, if, you, if you're not interested in that aspect of uh, literary context, uh, you can just simply take a step back and look at the broad picture of the Psalms. And really, there are two large groups. There are the Psalms of lament, uh, which are complaints. These, these things, are, uh, things are not right. And so I'm angry at God and I want to tell him that I'm angry. That's kind of where the lament Psalms fit. And then broadly speaking, there's another collection of Psalms known as the, the Psalms of praise. This is songs of joy and response to God for who he is and what he's done. So Psalms are familiar to us, uh, no doubt about that. They are read at weddings, but also at funerals, uh, at child dedications, at memorial services, at graduations. They are read around dinner tables. Psalm 23 begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Psalm 139 is also a well-known psalm. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How about this psalm? And we have even songs that reflect these psalms, but this is perhaps the more popular one in recent years is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, Praise His holy name. 
Bless the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the interesting feature about the Psalms is that they are different to the rest of Scripture. They're not only found in the middle of, of the Bible as we, as we have it in English, but the, the, the first instance where things are different is that communication is reversed. So in the rest of Scripture, it's always God interacting with His people and a collection of, of stories around what to do with that. Or it might be one letter uh, in the New Testament written to another group of people in another location, often written by Paul or someone like Peter. Or we might have the Gospels where it's a collection of stories about Jesus, but actually the Psalms are different. The Psalms are reversed. It's actually communication that happens from people to God. And in that sense, they're very, very different. The second aspect of the Psalms is that they're emotional. So they uh, convey a lot of weighty words. Uh, and sometimes um, they could be quite confronting when you read them. Um, like uh, words like um, uh, dashing babies against the rocks uh, when the when the psalm uh, when the writers were, were in Babylon and so angry at the at the situation um, or it might be things like despair or even this idea of uh, being taken down to the depths or the darkness like Psalm 88 and so you, we have to wrestle with that and try and understand what's the what's the feature there what's what's going on why why is it so violent or so aggressive and can God handle that? Is that even a thing that he can, that we should be talking to God like that? And the answer is yes, he can take it. And we can unpack that a little bit later. And the third distinctive is that Psalms invite us to consider where we are now. It's not about what's going to happen next. or It's not, going to, it's not about what's happened in the past, but rather it's an invitation to take stock about where I am and where's my relationship with God. Yes, they were written for a by a group of people in a time and place that's different to our own, but they remain relevant in our context. Why? Because I'm still a person. Uh, you are still a, a person that has emotions and feelings where things go right sometimes, but other times things don't go well. What do you do with that? How do you process that emotion? How do you convey that angst um, to God who can take it? And uh, this is what Matthew uh, Jacoby talks about. He's the the singer, the front man, he's an author and teacher um, from the, and he, he sings with the band Sons of Korah. And he, he says this particularly about the Psalms. The Psalms show us how to begin where we are. We are not expected to begin with some heightened state of spiritual ecstasy. We can and must begin where we are. What we need is not a heavenly spirituality, but an earthly spirituality that captures the present tension between what we have already on the one hand, but what remains unfulfilled on the other. And that's, if you like, our tension living in what Jesus came to proclaim as the good news. The kingdom is here, he said in Mark chapter 1. But it's not yet, in fulfill, it's not yet complete, it's not yet fulfilled. So we live in the tension of, Things that we see that reflect God's character, things like even miracles or good things in life. At the same time, we also see brokenness that hasn't left our story. And so with that in mind, in March last year, um, I had the opportunity to talk to, to us uh, here at Door of Hope. And I talked about trying to process the Psalms in terms of 
three lenses, if you like, psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of new orientation. And for me, this language has been helpful to try and understand what the psalms are about on the one hand, but also try and understand how it is that I can engage with God when things in particular are not going well. And so the psalms of orientation are the psalms of um, of joy. Um, there is reliability on who God is. I can look at creation and I can see that that God is present and is available and he's creative and he's um, reliable. I, the sun comes up every day and the sun sets every day. There is consistency, for example, in creation. Things go well. I return. I turn to God and praise him. They're the sums of orientation. But then there are seasons where things don't go well. And this is where you start to see that Perhaps uh, the, the story isn't always pleasant. The things that happen that uh, catch me by surprise. And this is where we find ourselves in a state of disorientation. And um, this is the place where lament is born. This is the, the complaint. This is where God invites us to speak to him and to say, this, this is not right, God. What, what are you doing or what, what should I be doing? And this is where disorientation lives. But things don't stay there because God is also a good God. And uh, this is where we find ourselves in a, in a state of new orientation when we can see that the suffering that we've endured is really uh, takes us to a new place where we get to see something of God that we didn't see before. And as I speak of these three um, states, if you like, uh, I'm reminded of Job, as we heard a couple of weeks ago. Job had a story of consistency when things then were taken away and he didn't know where he stood with God, what was going on. But then out of it, he had a new realization of the God that he worshipped, the God that he served. But ultimately, it's the life of Jesus. That's the one that intrigues me the most. And that is the uh, Jesus in his identity with, with God, knew who he was and yet came down um, to earth. He humbled himself. We read in Philippians 2 and he made himself nothing and he died on a cross so that then you and I could have a relationship with God. And what does God do with Jesus? He lifts him up to the highest place possible. And we have here again that, that reflection of disorientation into disorientation and new um, orientation. So I want to stay with Jesus. Um, uh, if, I, if I'm going to read the Psalms, I, I want to read the Psalms with Jesus in mind. And so um, I want to uh, come back to this reference in Mark chapter 1. Jesus came and he said, uh, repent and believe uh, the kingdom of God is here. Um, and so here's the, here's the good news. Here's the one that's going to convey to us this a different way of living. There's a kingdom of God that is at play and he's at the center of that Christian story. And so uh, our story in Jesus as Christians is that we believe that Jesus is the one that we want to follow. Um, we accept him into our lives and we declare that my life is, is no longer my own. Um, I surrender to Jesus. That's the commitment that we make. And I want him to be the king of my life, no longer me, but it's him that lives in me that needs to be the ruler. And so this is what we call discipleship. And um, if you come under his lordship, if you come under his, his relationship, then he's going to ask you to do some things that uh, reflect who he is. And it's going to hurt sometimes and you're going to have to process what he's asking you to do. It's the daily grind. That's what I talk about discipleship. It's the it's the day-to-day -day wrestling um, with, with uh, things. And uh, in a sense, sin is, is still part of our story. So coming back to Jesus and, and um, dealing with, with that brokenness. So what's the, the, what's the point 
If I want him to become the most important thing in my life, what's the point of having Jesus as king if I don't do what he did? And here's the invitation of the Gospels to to pay attention to obedience and to pay attention to who he was and uh, read about him in the Gospels. And so when it comes to Jesus, I ask this question, how did he read the Psalms? And so what I want to do uh, for the remainder of of, uh, my talk to you is just to highlight four things um, that I think are lessons for us when it comes to um, dealing with with the Psalms. Um, So Jesus has, there are four instances uh, that Jesus uses uh, the Psalms as a way to um, tell his story, to engage with the things that were happening around him. And I wanted to look at each of these. And the first one is is an encounter. It's it's an odd one to start with, I realize. But in terms of Jesus' storyline, once he was baptized, um, the spirit that was with him led him into the desert. And it's during this time that he fasted and Um, It was where he uh, went into the wilderness and experienced um, some of the things that you and I experience. And especially when it comes to temptation as part of our Christian story and the work of what we describe as the devil trying to to, uh, ruin Jesus' life. And so um, Jesus and the devil have an encounter um, over a number of different um, situations where um, Satan uh, or the devil is trying to tempt Jesus. And at one point in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we read these words. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I, uh, I don't know what you think about this, but it's, uh, it's interesting that um, the, this is a psalm. It's, it's, it's actually uh, Psalm 91. And I, I am always trying to imagine in the, in the ancient times, how do they sing? What did that sound like? What instruments did they use? And of course, we can have some idea of what it must have been like. But um, there's an Australian band that I've already mentioned called Sons of Korah. And what they've done over the years is, and they visited Door of Hope a number of times and put on several um, shows, concerts. And what they do is they put music uh, to the Psalms. And um, this is uh, a passage that uh, Satan is using to quote um, the Psalm. But uh, have a listen to Sons of Korah, a, a bit of the song as they sing Psalm 91. He who shelter of the Most High, find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my God and my shield in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the deadly pestilence as well He will cover over you with His feathers There under His wings you will find sleep 
What's interesting about this passage, this exchange between the devil and um, Jesus, is that um, Jesus has an answer, answer for him. And what we, what we see in this exchange is that the Psalms are very much alive. The Psalms are, are, are used in order to um, answer uh, and have a conversation with each other. And I think there's a lesson in that for us. Um, as, as the devil and, and Jesus have this exchange, there's a, there's a sense of value in the Psalms. And I think that's important for us as we um, highlight the fact that the Psalms can be used to guide um, our thoughts and our struggles. And um, Jesus is very quick at answering the devil and he resists uh, that temptation that the devil puts in front of him. Uh, but in, in that exchange, I think for us, there's an invitation to consider how can we use the Psalms to, to, to convey what we are feeling and uh, wrestling with in our context. Um, now, of course, we're not Jesus and we're not necessarily having the same level of exchange that, that he had and that facing the same sort of struggles that he had at that point. But we are still uh, image bearers and we still have a responsibility to be uh, Jesus to the world around us. And very often uh, when we don't have words to convey uh, what we're struggling with or what we're dealing with or, or to speak into the situation, um, that, um, that we see, uh, often a psalm can be maybe just the right thing that needs to be verbalized at that point. The second uh, example is where Jesus is um, having a conversation um, there's, there's towards the, the end of his ministry. He's entering Jerusalem. Um, he's entering on a, on a donkey and there's some conversation around who he is and is this really the king and so on. And uh, in Matthew 21, verse 42, we read these words. He was having, a, he was having an answer uh, for the type of criticism that he, was, that he was receiving. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's a question, but it's a psalm. It's a reference to Psalm 118. And so I think the second lesson that we can get from this is that Jesus um, uh, uses scriptures to talk about himself uh, and to answer um, the critics. 
And so if Jesus used the Psalms and turned them about himself, then we can do the same in a way. Of course, we're not Jesus, but the principle is that the Psalms allow us to use scriptures to express upwards um, who we are um, in God. And so the, the Psalms give us opportunity to see ourselves in the Bible. And, um, and uh, remember to, that, to that, com- that, that thing that I mentioned earlier, that um, the conversation is reversed in the Psalms. It's not just um, God speaking to people, but it's people speaking to God. And if Jesus can do that, uh, in this example, maybe I'm invited also to use the Psalms to talk to God. Fast forward a little bit in the, in the scene of, of Jesus and the, and the disciples gathered around the table. Uh, this is what um, the, the, fest, the festival of the Passover or the Passover feast. Um, and it was a, a, a Jewish tradition. And uh, in, this, in this scene, the, the disciples are, are gathered around Jesus and he's really making some um, audacious claims about the bread and the cup and really highlighting what was going to happen to him. And uh, we read right at the very end, just before they get up and, and move to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where uh, Jesus has is being handed over. There's this little reference in, in verse 26, sorry, chapter 36, verse 30 of Matthew. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Um, again, I would be fascinating. I would have loved to have been there to be able to, to hear what that sounded like and I suppose um, over the years I've just ignored that and I've just thought, well, we'll never know. But actually, if you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that it's quite likely that uh, the, 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 the hymns or the songs that they sung at that point um, were from Psalms 113, 114, 115, 116, 117 and 118. There's a collection of short Psalms there which were used in Jewish tradition uh, to, to, to be sung uh, during this Passover feast. And I'm not just talking about a verse and a chorus and then maybe repeat the bridge two times and then finish with a quick word of prayer. I'm, I'm talking here about uh, feasting, but also singing. And, and in some cases, these psalms are a little bit long and it would have gone for several hours, some of these, some of these singing. So it's not just a quick thing and, and then move on, but there's a, there's a certain invitation to stay present. And so the, the, the third lesson that I want to draw out from here is that we sing because it's good for us. And um, uh, if you do a quick word study, you can jump on, say, BibleGateway.com. And you, instead of looking at a reference, you just punch in the word sing, for example. And uh, on, the, on the right hand side of your screen, you'll see the instances where sing um, happens in Scripture. And you can narrow your search down to the Old Testament And you can see the instances where that word in our English translation comes up and you'll see a spike. So as you go down the list, there's a few here, there's 10 here, there's uh, three over there in in different books. But when you get to the Psalms, there's an incredible spike where it jumps into the hundreds. So there's something there that's um, uh, invitational for us. What does it mean to be able to sing? And um, the same can happen with the word praise. Praise is used all throughout the Bible. But when you get to the Psalms, there's an incredible spike that happens in the way that it's used. That says something to us. And again, I want to be like Jesus. So if Jesus is using the Psalms to sing, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to God in worship? When we sing, we're not only 
using our, our voices, but actually there's a whole lot going on. Our, our brains are firing. Um, our, our lungs are being filled with, with oxygen. Um, we're also being able to sing, in some instances, we sing in community. So we sing um, with others. There are a lot of benefits uh, when it comes to um, singing. And actually, an, interest, an interesting point for me is the, is the fact that singing or, or music transcends um, cultures. When you think about the barriers that are, that are often built by the fact that we can't speak the language, we don't know the customs, uh, actually those barriers begin to disappear once you start to talk music language or singing language. And here we are at Barrett's Music and um, I used to work here and for years we displayed a, a banner that said music makes you smarter. So science uh, is almost catching up uh, to what God already knew. Singing is good for us. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time uh, you sung to God? When was the last time you, in your own time, in your own worship of, of the Lord, when, when did you sing last? Was it the last 30 days? Uh, was it longer? Maybe you need to engage in that, in that singing element. Now, I realize that um, singing is not for, people don't necessarily enjoy it, uh, or music, I should say, is not for everybody. Um, uh, some people are gifted in that way and others are, are gifted at playing the stereo. They don't necessarily know how to pick up an instrument, nor they're interested in learning. Um, and that's okay, so long as we find a way in which we can connect with God. So maybe music or playing an instrument or a guitar is not for you, but what will you do? Uh, you can use your voice to sing, but maybe you'd like to journal as well, or maybe you're, you're a painter, you're a creative type, maybe uh, you engage with creation. What, what is it for you that gets you thinking, not of yourself, but thinking of God? How will you do that spike in the Psalms? How will you praise um, God in your life? And um, just as I finish, there's one fourth example, and um, this is a very short one, and that is just really uh, that moment of despair for Jesus as he hung on the cross. We've had the Passover, now he's hanging on the cross, and um, uh, in chapter uh, 27 of Matthew, verse 46, uh, we read these words. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, in the moment of despair, in that moment of darkness for Jesus, um, he didn't have his own words to, to pray to God. But again, he uses a psalm to convey uh, what he was sensing and feeling within himself. And the psalm that he used is this psalm, Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? So there's this sense of invitation that when things are not going well, and we all have those challenges from time to time, maybe you're experiencing something right now. Um, what words will you use to convey your angst to God? He can take it. He's, gonna, he's not going to be surprised by what you say. But what words will you use? And if you don't have words, and that can happen, maybe you turn to the Psalms and you pick up a psalm of lament and you express to God through what the psalmist has already written. So there's an invitation there for you. So the fourth lesson is we use the psalms when no other words can express um, what we feel. Uh, September 11 uh, was a memorable uh, experience for a lot of us. And um, we all 
it seems as though we all remember where we were exactly at that time when those um, planes crashed into the towers in New York. Well, I was intrigued by some of the stories that emerged uh, months later. And uh, there was this um, small church uh, with a very simple congregation and a, and a pastor that was doing his best. And uh, all of a sudden, after the weekend after the weekends that followed this, um, this, this attack, there was a, a swelling of people wanting to look for answers. And uh, this uh, pastor uh, had this, this church that only had a handful of people. Now there were people looking in through windows and spilling out um, through, the, through the back door. And uh, he didn't know what to do. Uh, and yet through the Psalms, he was able to find just the right words to be able to express on behalf of uh, his congregation what was happening. And what was the Psalm? It was Psalm 88. And uh, the Psalm, that particular Psalm, there's two of them. Psalm 88 is what we call a problem Psalm in that it doesn't follow the ingredients of other Psalms. It doesn't start with a with a petition and end with a sort of doxology or a recognition of who God is, the psalm just ends uh, without any warning and without no um, resolution. And uh, it, it uses words like, you lowered me to the darkest depths and darkness um, surrounded me. And with that, it finishes. And uh, this church pastor was able to use the psalm when no other words were, were possible. He used a psalm to convey this. So I finish with this question, how, coming back to the life of Jesus, how will you imitate Jesus? Um, and if you are keen to be one of his disciples, then what are you going to do about using the book of Psalms? Maybe you need to sing a song uh, in your own time when there's no one listening. Maybe you need to come back to the community and engage in this singing that we know is good for us, not only um, for our mental health, not only for our well-being, our community, but also for our soul, the things that are inside us. Uh, will you talk to God today through the Psalms? This week, as you engage in your day-to-day, -day, use the Psalms. That's my invitation and that's my hope today that you would be able to do that. Can I finish uh, with a word of prayer? So God, we thank you for the opportunity to dive into the Psalms. We thank you especially for your example through Jesus of what it meant to live for you, um, uh, what it meant to die for you, what it meant to, to be uh, present and available to help others. And in that, you surrounded uh, men and women um, and uh, inspired them uh, to live lives that would exemplify this idea of the kingdom. And in your example, we read the Psalms, how you use the Psalms. And uh, Lord, I want to thank you that we have the Psalms available in English and we can access them. And so for us, the challenge is how can I use the psalm in my worship of you? How can I sing to you? How can I convey to you that things are not going well? Lord, help us uncover the psalms for ourselves that we may draw closer to you. And I can pray this in Jesus name. Amen.